0: the Big Bets on Campus podcast is presented by WinBet Sportsbook, and they've got a great sign-up offer for our listeners. New WinBet patrons who open an account and deposit $20 or more can make their first bet risk-free up to $1,000. That's right. If you open a new WinBet
1: account, make a qualifying deposit, and place your first bet within 10 days, that bet is risk-free up to $1,000 in eligible states. To get started... All you have to do is click on the Action Network link in this episode description. Okay, let's get things started.
0: Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is your Wednesday Group of Five deep dive for college football week two, covering anything of college football's most entertaining conferences. I am Mike Calabrese. I'm joined by the Action Network's Mike Ionello. But before we get into, you know, tooting our own horn, I'm not sure if you're aware, but we went 11-0 last week as a podcast. Before we get into all that, we are joined by one of the greatest college football reporters on planet Earth, a.k.a. Sources himself. Of course, I'm referring to Brett McMurphy. He recently broke a very juicy story about the Big 12 expansion and how they are potentially going to break up what has become, some would say, the sixth best conference, the G6. Talking about the AAC, they have some targets that they're looking to pull into the Big 12, making sure that they survive this expansion musical chairs. So Brett, thank you so much for joining us. Please, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this juicy story.
1: Thanks, Mike, and Mike. I'm just I'm glad to be on here. I'm honored. You know, look, you guys were 11 and 0. That's incredible. You know, the Saturday, little Saturday show I do, Blistucky and and Colin. One guy on the show last week went six and 0. I don't want to say who his name is, but his initials were Brett McMurphy. So, congrats being part of the undefeated club. But as far as the what's going to happen to the the American? Um, you know, as I reported, and others have also reported, Cincinnati, BYU, UCF. And Houston are headed to the Big 12. Initially, I was told this could happen by the end of the month. That was a couple of weeks ago. Now it is ramped up. They could receive their official invitations as soon as Friday. Um, And then the question is after that, how soon can they get in the conference? I was told from sources that actually BYU could join the league as soon as next year because they're an independent. They don't have to worry about getting out of out of a conference, obviously football wise. For the other schools in the American, they have to provide 27 months notice. They have to pay a $10 million exit fee. Obviously those things can be negotiated. I think what most Big 12 folks want to happen is to have all four on board for the 2023 season. So yes, that means they would actually get to play two seasons with OU and Texas in the Big 12. Certainly that would increase their their media rights and their TV rights. Um, So with that happening, what happens to the American? It look, there's going to be more dominoes. Anytime there's a move at the top, whether it's, it's like the SEC, it filters all the way down. Um, the American has a decision to make. They're going to be left with eight members. They have to decide do they want to go to 10 or do they want to go to 12? They have not had any official discussions yet among the league members on what they want to do. Sources within the league, though, told me that it's more likely they go to 12. Who are they going to add? Well, you could make, there's not a right or wrong answer. It's what their philosophy is. Do you want to grab the best football teams out there? Certainly Boise would be on that list. UAB um, after that, you know, it's kind of a hodgepodge. Do you want to go further West? Do you want to go to UNLV? Cause the Vegas market, do you want to go all the way out to San Diego state? They're going to have a new stadium, Colorado state, you know, has had their ups and downs, you know, a little bit closer to the East coast. You've got Marshall. Do you want to add Florida Atlantic? Do you want to still have two teams in the state of Florida? Or do you take a chance on an up and up and comer like Coastal Carolina, App State? Or do you take a big long shot on Liberty? Liberty has been unbelievable the past few years. How good are they going to be once Hugh Freeze leaves? Um, that's certainly a decision they have to make. Um, and certainly I think some a decision they'll want to make fairly quickly, probably not next week or next month. But I think by the end of this football season, they'll have an idea who exactly they want to add. Uh, Certainly the
0: Pac-12 in this extended conversations about how teams are going to form alliances or potentially expand, the Pac-12 is stuck to their guns in that the academic stature, whether they're AAU you know, universities or colleges, or, you know, geographically that it makes sense. It seems as though they have more sticking points than some of these other conferences who are really in survival mode. Is there any implications on the AAC side that are deal breakers, whether they're academics, whether they're TV market ramifications, or maybe even facilities getting down to specifics like that? Have you noted anything like that coming out of the AAC right now?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And and I think every league, to an extent, they've had these requirements in the past when you expanded and did different things. But it's certainly with the Big 12. All those things got thrown out the window because at this point, you're looking to survive. So you went and grabbed the four best football products that you could, and that's why they invited those four to come into the league. I think the Americans are going to do the same. Certainly, they prefer great academics. They prefer big TV markets. They prefer all the, the usual suspects, as far as requirements coming in, but again, if if I was commissioner, of the if I was commissioner of the American, or if I was commissioner of the Mountain West, what I would do right now is I would try to pillage the other conference because now there's going to be a real battle. Who's going to be the strongest of the remaining non Power Five conferences? And I don't think it's clear cut. It's the Mountain West. I don't think it's clear cut. It's uh, the American. You know, you can make an argument. The top team in the Belt may be as good as anybody else so I would go on the offensive if I was the commissioner of either one of those leagues the advantage for the American is their TV deal right now is better than the Mountain West obviously that will change with new members so they've got a little bit of a head start if you will they would be more attractive but if I'm the American how do I survive I go get the best team out of the Mountain West Boise State I don't know if they want to come but you certainly make that call I go get UAB who has been unbelievable in Conference USA. They just have a brand new stadium. I'd take a look at Coastal. You know, Florida Atlantic gives you another presence in Florida. What I think doesn't necessarily mean what the American's going to do. And again, the thing that makes this difficult to predict is there's no right or wrong answers. It's a beauty contest. And what the conference thinks is the best four editions. you and I may not agree with who we would have picked if we were in charge.
2: Yeah, bro, I have a question. You know, we've talked a lot about TV ramifications for this. And do you see a scenario down the road where the remaining group of five conferences, you know, kind of either form an alliance or, or even is there a chance they combine to kind of be one Super League, whether it's, you know, on the field or even just from from a TV rights package? Because you got to think if if, you know, the Sun Belt and the Mac and, and the Mountain West all kind of sold their media rights as one package, that would be increase the, the value for all of them. So do you think that's something that kind of happens down the road?
1: I mean, they they have to think outside the box. And I, you know, I wrote this article probably four or five years ago, and it was based. But I said, look, the power five, the gap between the power five and the group of five just continues to increase. At some point, they're going to break away in some fashion. Will they still play the group of five? They say they will, but that's to be seen. I think the group of 5 should establish their own playoff and kind of some of the similar suggestions you had. The problem is is for instance right now the American is gets the most money for TV rights than the other leagues. So if they combine with the other other group of 5 leagues, Mountain West, Sunbelt, MAC, Conference USA, that means the American teams will be making less money because they're bringing in lesser product if that makes sense. Now if you're in Conference USA, Would you join forces with the American? Absolutely, because your your revenue is going to go up. That's the big challenge with all of college athletics is every conference does what's best for their specific conference. And I understand why. If you're at the SEC, you want to add OU in Texas because that's going to help your conference. And people say, well, it's going to ruin college football, the dominoes, and look at that. But bottom line is you've got to do what's best for your conference what your 14 presidents tell you to do, want you to do. And every conference works in a silo. But just knowing how this has worked in the past few years, you got, I don't know, you guys may be too young to remember the, the glory days of the WAC. May it rest in peace. But that used to be a viable conference. They were the first conference that had 16 teams. I mean, they spread from, uh, from Hawaii to China, I think. They were all over the map. Ultimately, they couldn't succeed because they were too far spread out, they didn't make enough money, et cetera, et cetera. But what you brought up is a possibility. Certainly, all of these conferences are going to look at something. But ultimately, I'm afraid they're just looking out for themselves. And it's probably unlikely that that would happen, although I think they should consider every possibility under the sun.
0: One final question for you, and uh, maybe we'll gather around the campfire and you'll tell us the old stories of the Southwest (laughs) Conference and how all these teams in Texas used to play. I've only heard the Urban Legends. Are there any potential scenarios in which single team sports are offered? So Notre Dame playing basketball in the ACC, but they maintain their independence for football. That maybe you make it easier on the member institutions by saying you don't need to fly your women's tennis team to Las Vegas you know, two times a year, we're just going to add them for football. Have you heard anything like that?
1: Yeah, that's a real possibility. I mean, I do know that was a consideration with BYU initially, but BYU will be an all-sport member in the Big 12. Um, But you're right. I mean, look, everything, I've been told this by multiple people, everything's on the table. And the examples you gave, whether it's Gonzaga basketball only to the Pac-12, coastal football only to the American or whatever, if those schools are desperate enough to get into that league and they can make it work, they'll do it. Um, one, one thing that I think if the conference is spread out across the country that has been suggested is instead of all the Olympic sports having to travel back and forth, you know, for weekly matches, volleyball matches, basketball, et cetera, you just basically have the Olympic sports just play teams in their region of the country for conference play And then they basically won't play everybody until you get to a conference championship. So that could cut down on the travel for the non-football sports. But yeah, you know, look, if Liberty had a shot to join the American as football only, I guarantee you they'd do it. Will they get that offer? We'll have to see, but that's some of the discussions that these guys are thinking about. And, you know, all the, all the points you brought up is what's being discussed right now among commissioners among ADs and it's just getting everybody in the room and trying to figure out what's the best, Way to go. But as crazy as some of these scenarios sound, those are the possibilities that could happen. And thanks for bringing up the Southwest Conference. I grew up watching the Big Eight. Yes, I'm old. We'll sit around the campfire and I'll put you to sleep with my old war stories.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Brett. Hopefully, the lag time between recording and when this goes live on your podcast channels, which is about three hours, that's this information is not outdated. That's how fast (laughs) these conference realignment stories are moving. Reminder to our listeners, there's going to be no sources episode this week due to the Labor Day holiday, but you're going to have an opportunity to, to hear more from him in the coming weeks and throughout our programming. So hopefully we can have you back and, you know, dive into some of your, your picks. I, I believe you're bad in a thousand. So I would love to, to hear more of what you have to say about college football.
1: Thanks, guys. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks again for Brett McMurphy joining the podcast, breaking down everything that's happening behind the scenes in the conference realignment musical chairs that has overtaken college football. And now a quick reminder to our listeners. The Big Bets on Campus podcast is presented by WinBet Sportsbook, and they've got a great signup offer for you guys this season. New WinBet patrons who open an account and deposit $20 or more can make their first risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right, if you open a new WinBet account, make a qualifying deposit, and place your first bet within 10 days, that bet is risk-free up to $1,000 in eligible states. $1,000. That's probably more than the United Wholesale Mortgage company is paying the Michigan State walk-ons this season. But to take advantage of this win bet offer, just click on the Action Network link in this episode description. Must be 21 or older to gamble. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's get back to the show. All right, Mike, it's time. It's time to toot our own horns here. We were called up to the bigs. Got the call from the you know the elders on high here at the Action Network. Had an opportunity to be a part of the elite fraternity that is Big Bets on Campus, the podcast. And we went 11 and 0. Our round robin, cocked that gun, we fired, we hit the target, 5 and 0. Our underdog parlay, UTSA cashing. Nevada digs a 14 nothing hole, no problem. Carson, so strong, bails us out, cashes that one too. The only thing I want to get into really, you know, we can put this in the rear view because as our producer, Matt, likes to say, got to stay humble, got to keep grinding. And we're only as good as our, our weekly record. That's in the past. 11 and zero was great. I still feel great about it. Going to give us some positive momentum, but people came here to listen to us give picks this week, but I'm going to say one more thing. And this is for Sean Lewis, the head coach of Kent state. I am reminded in the closing minutes of that game, as he was trying to score a meaningless field goal, not once, but twice. I was reminded of Vince Vaughn's, you know, I would say acting debut, really his cameo in the movie Rudy. Matt, just go ahead and play that footage. The- What's, your problem,
1: huh? What's your problem? What's your problem? Black- that asshole thinks it's the Super Bowl.
0: He was coaching like it was the Super Bowl. He was coaching like his kids were tied up by kidnappers. And if he did not score a field goal on that final drive, he was going to have to wave goodbye to his family. That is how insane the play calling and time management was to not go for a touchdown but to trot out their kicker on multiple occasions. And as you know, listeners of this show can attest, when we talk about the group of five, when we talk about gambling, we want to get into the positive, the good beats. And in this case, missing two field goals inside of 30 yards in the, the final minutes was a good beat. So our good guy, good beat hero of the week is Andrew Glass. The freshman kicker, five foot ten, 160 pounds, sopping wet, hometown of Wheeling, West Virginia. This is for you, Andrew Glass. You're gonna go into great things in your college career. The only thing I would recommend is maybe changing your number. Kicker number 60, as soon as he trotted out into the field, I had a feeling that we may have a chance to uh, to maintain the, the spread of minus 29 and a half. And he was he was there to prove us correct, hooking one and banking one off the post. What were your thoughts in the closing mi- minutes, Ionello? Because I know we were sweating that big time.
2: So I don't want to sit here and say, I told you so. But when you gave out that next a pick, what did I say? I said, I don't know. That makes me nervous because Sean Lewis coaches like he's only trying to cover the spread. And that, that that paid out. That's what he was doing. So you got like, yeah, that kicker, like you said, he was the hero. The Kent State kicker was the hero. He missed those two kicks and gave us the perfect week. For me, I'm going to go for my hero of the week. Another person that we gave out on the show. I'm going to go with Charlotte quarterback, Chris Reynolds. Chris Reynolds is a former walk-on for Charlotte and he helped lead Charlotte to a 31-29 win as six-point underdogs for their first-ever win against a Power 5 school for the Fighting 49ers. He was so clutch. He was, all, he was through 324 yards and three touchdowns, final two drives, nine for 10, 161, two TDs, go-ahead score with 33 seconds left. And a secondary shout-out to Grant DuBose, who caught the game-winning touchdown. This is a dude that was literally working at Walmart last football season. He did not play college football in 2020. He was working at Walmart. He made the Charlotte team on an open tryout and caught the game-winning score to give them their upset win over Duke. Club lit was rocking in Charlotte. Go Niners.
0: Speaking of bandwagons that were rocking the Bailey Zappy bandwagon. Bailey Zappy. He justified all the hype. We must have talked him up, you know, on this podcast and then just between the two of us for the last couple of weeks. He was Always being mentioned in the G five breakout superstar department, and his very first drive, he throws an interception. And my phone was lighting up; people were ready to call me out for you know getting too hyped up over a Houston Baptist quarterback of all people. And then he went ahead and threw for four hundred yards, seven touchdowns. They go over the team total. They cover the number against UT Martin this week. I'm going to stay away. They're going to the, to West Point, and they're a seven point underdog in that game. Army coming off just a, a massacre against Georgia State. Georgia State, who I will get into later, was playing without a few players who were in the COVID protocol kind of murkiness, but they got they got lit up in that game. I think Army, it's going to be a contrast of styles, obviously, between an air raid offense and then what Army likes to do with the triple option. But I do not want to miss an opportunity to get Bailey Zappi his proper due. All right, as I mentioned, we, we got to get to picks. It, it's about being prolific on a week-to-week basis. I'm going to start with a game that I'm excited about because it is so far down the bottom of the board. It probably hasn't popped up on your sports book yet Baylor minus 47 and a half against Texas Southern. Here's always my philosophy on FCS schools. I think it's human nature to lump all FCS schools together, much in that way, you know, playing NCAA football 99 back in your high school days or however old you are. You see that FCS West team, and it, it doesn't matter. It, this is an automatic win, an opportunity to get your backups in. But here's the thing you saw how well FCS schools performed last week, winning multiple games outright, looking at it. Montana taking on Washington and handing the Huskies and L. There's some teams, though, that are FCS in name only. Montana, if they played at the FBS level, would probably be a ball team. And then there's FCS teams that are absolutely the bottom of the barrel. And I'm talking about Texas Southern. They are in the bottom 10 of the staggering ratings, which combine, you know, both levels of football. They just lost by 23 points to Prairie View A&M at home. And when you look at Texas Southern across the last, you know, two and a half seasons, they've given up 40 points or more in eight of their last 14 games. This team stinks. And when I look at what Baylor accomplished against Texas State, which don't worry, I will bring up my Texas State mini, mini bet helmet win with that backdoor cover. But I loved what I saw from Dave Aranda's defense. Three interceptions, including a pick six. They cash in on a safety at the buzzer. And also the run game went for 245 yards, which really eased them into the Jerry Bohannon era. I think the offense is going to get right in the spot against a a toothless Texas Southern defense. And the 47 and a half does not bother me. Remember, this is a Baylor team that historically loves to schedule these, these cream puffs in September. And they usually roll over them easily. So 47 and a half is not too daunting for me. All right, what's your first pick here for best bets of the week?
2: My best bet, I'm going to go with one. I I know you like this as well. I'm going to go with Wyoming, minus seven against Northern Illinois. Obviously, if you can get it inside that touchdown, even better. I like it at seven. Uh, I'm pretty down on this Northern Illinois team. You know, I bet their win total under. And, and yeah, they they came away with an awesome win against Georgia Tech, 22-21 last week. But that was one of those misleading box scores. You know, Georgia Tech's quarterback got hurt super early on. And Georgia Tech outgained them 429 to 301. You know, Georgia Tech ran all over them. They had 273 yards, averaged 5.3 per carry. The biggest difference was Northern Illinois lived in that backfield. They had four sacks, four quarterback quarries, six tackles for loss. You know, the Northern Illinois offense had all day to throw. Rocky Lombardi was just sitting back there. He was 11 for 17. I don't think Rocky Lombardi good. So, you know, I don't think he'll be able to do that against this Wyoming defense. But yeah, you know, they kind of did sleepwalk against Montana State. So I expect that to kind of be a little bit of a wake-up call. This defense was 16th in the country last year, and they returned their top 15 tacklers. So I expect a much better performance from the Wyoming defense than Northern Illinois faced against the Georgia Tech defense. And, and like I said, they, they really just lived in the backfield, but this Wyoming team brings brings back all five offensive linemen. They have all Mountain West running back, Xavier uh, Voladay. So I just think they'll be able to run it all over them, And I think, you know, Wyoming kind of slept walk and they're gonna have a bounce back and I'll lay the seven with Wyoming.
0: I, I absolutely agree with you on that game. It was also a comeback game for Sean Chambers. The guy's just been snake bit with injuries throughout his career. So you had to assume there was going to be rust in a spot like that. And then one final you know, shout out to, to Craig Bowl and what he's accomplished in Laramie. This was a, a downtrodden program when he showed up in 2014. And really since 2016, when he got him moving in the right direction, this has been a top 20 program against the spread nationally. And when you talk about public teams versus non-public teams, they are certainly not that sexy, you know, team that everyone's racing to the betting window to to throw down some money on. So I'm with you there. As soon as it dipped below that touchdown, and I really like them, you know, whether it's seven, seven and a half, eight, I I like them, but certainly it's six and a half getting that hook in your favor. um, I like the pokes there. All right. I'm going to go ahead and throw out, which arguably could be the, the best group of five game, you know, liberally speaking we're going to lump in the liberty flames with the g5 even though they're maintaining their independence you know liberty is the same dynamic offense that we saw last year willis and josh joshua mack can really run the ball i was impressed with Demario du- demario douglas who was you know a, a contributor last year but certainly he's now a focal point he's just this jitter bug that they use in the slot they use him in motion he's in the return game He's dynamic. and I think you know I know exactly what I'm getting from Liberty in this game, and with a total set at sixty one, I figure they're going to get close to forty points in this game. So the question is, can Troy do the heavy lifting on their part to push this over, you know the the closing total? I think they can. Troy settles on Taylor Powell, who ends up as one of the top performers nationally. whether really any metric you look at I'll just cherry pick total QBR, I think he was at eighty nine point six. so almost coming in at ninety. And then their running game with Vidal and B.J. Smith is a great one-two punch. And really, that's the way to crack the the Liberty defense. This was a, a quality run defense last year. They brought back so many starters. If they can give them some offensive balance go north of hundred yards as a team rushing. I think Troy's going to be able to score three touchdowns or more in this spot. And this is an electric home crowd. I think this is a, a, a proud football program that's been waiting for, you know, their team to live up to expectations. And last year they were close. They gave coastal Carolina a great game. I think you're going to see a great effort here in what should be a shootout last week for, for our listeners, we did our, our round Robin, our five picks all together that hit. We did our parlay of underdogs, This week, I'm going to be honest, it was tough mining the underdogs. Do you even have one this week that I could pair up with my pick? And if not, no shame in the game because, honestly, there are so many FCS games and huge point spreads for these G5 teams that it was difficult to narrow in on those teams inside of a touchdown that really present a lot of value as an underdog to win outright.
2: I'm going with Troy. We just talked about it. I'm taking Troy at plus 160 as my underdog pick of the week. Troy was was a feisty team last year. They they impressed me a lot at times. And I love the move going with Taylor Powell. You know, he he spent three years at Missouri. He saw action in 12 games. His one career start coming into the season was at number four Georgia. So he's not going to be intimidated, you know, playing these G5 schools. And and he opted out of 2020, and he's come back. And like you said, he looked great week one. And I love the way this Troy team, you know, they don't have any of these big-name guys that are going to be drafted in the NFL, but they're deep. You know, 10 different players caught a pass week one. Like you said, you mentioned Vidal and Smith. They also have Jamontez Woods as another solid running back. So they have really a three-headed bell cow at running back. All three of them had at least 10 carries. All three of them scored a touchdown week one. Their defense is pretty solid. They, have, they returned 10 starters. You know, Carlton Marshall is, is one of the best linebackers in the Sun Belt. So I like this Troy team a lot. You know, the, the line right now is kind of floating around five and a half, four, depending on where you got it. I know our, our action network pro projections make it 3.1. So if you can get them over a field, go take it. But I like them a little sprinkle on the money line too. So I, I think Troy can win this game. You know, they're at home. So I'll, I'll take Troy as a little home dog. you' like underdog parlay. All right. I have to match
0: your level of ambition. So I'm going to go ahead with the G5 team upsetting an SEC team to pair together for our group of five underdog parlay. I'm going with the ECU Pirates. And really, this is my belief in a few things. One, in holding the Aylers. He's a guy with a ton of experience. He's also had performances where he's really played up to the level of competition and exploded with 400 plus total yards. And you've seen him do it against really some of the best teams in the AAC and also when they jump up and play those power programs. But also, last week they played, for my money, if not the best, maybe in the top three of all G5 teams, which is App State. App State proved that, you know, Bryce is their quarterback. They had the, you know, a complimentary passing game now. Cameron Peoples was dynamic. They, you know, are only going to get better in the rushing game this year. Yet, despite that, they race out to a big lead and ECU does what they've done for gamblers a lot, at least in my lifetime, which is leaving that back door open. They score the final 10 points of the game there. They almost get back and cover that number and they're going up against a South Carolina team. When you talk about a mirage or some some data that is a statistical outlier, I could care less what South Carolina did in a 46 nothing shutout of Eastern Illinois Eastern Illinois is two and 18 in their last 20 games. They're an awful FCS team it really makes no difference to me, the sets they ran up. You know, they had a former coach graduate assistant Zeb Noland as the quarterback. Now they're probably going to play both him and Luke Doty in this game. And I think that's an opportunity to, to lose a little bit of continuity and momentum with their offense. I know that East Carolina can't stop the run and Kevin Harris has been rumored to uh, to be getting carries in this game after sitting out the, the first game of the season, but I don't think it's going to get much worse than what they experienced against app state so for those reasons, I'm going to go ahead and take them plus 115. You're going to want to go ahead and check win bet for the latest odds. But when we put these two together, that's another tasty payout. And and I like the, the ambition that we're showing here. It's, uh, puts a cap on our two-team underdog parlay of the week coming from the G5. The payout on that's about plus 460. Obviously, we hit it last week, so hopefully we keep the uh, the good times rolling. We're going to roll right into the G5 high-five round robin of the week.
1: Should we high-five? High
0: five. Last week, we went 5-0, and oh, trying to keep that magic going. I won't bore our listeners right out of the gate here because I also like Wyoming minus 6.5, everything that we went through. I will punch home one more time, though. They did squeak past Montana State, but they're a quality FCS program. So I think that's providing at least three points of value here when you pair that with NIU's upset of Georgia Tech, who was playing with a backup quarterback. I like them there. I also like a team that's we got to pour one out for Randy Edsel. Randy Edsel is ready to go. You know, we were ready for this entire season to talk about Randy Edsel's really complicated contract that had a bunch of Easter eggs in it for cash bonuses from like $500 to 10 grand for tackles for loss and onside kicks and all this fun. And then he goes ahead and quits on the team and, and he's done this UConn team. I think if it could be summed up with a visual, it was their defensive coordinator asking for everyone to put their hands in in the fourth quarter against Holy Cross and no one putting their hands up. This team's ready to quit. Purdue is ready to roll. Minus 33 and a half. It stores this UConn team. It's white flag time. I mean, they gave up 38 points to Holy Cross. Uh, Holy Cross hadn't scored that much against an FCS team in two years. So if you're ever looking to get right offensively, you want you want to face the Huskies. You know, this Purdue team left points on the board against Oregon State. They did it without a running game. They still scored 30. Holy Cross ran for 226 yards last week. So I I really see Purdue having a balanced offense. They're going to be explosive in the passing game with Plummer, you know, going to David Bell early and often. They have a great tight end as well. The Boilermakers do. And then when I look at UConn, the only positive thing I could say before their week zero game against Fresno State was Kevin Mensah was really their offensive bell cow. He was someone they could rely on. The kid's got 97 yards on 32 carries in two games. He's the whole offense. They have no offense. I like the Boilermakers here. And then I'm going to give the other three picks to Ionello this week.
2: Well, first I want to say Randy Etzel didn't quit on his team breeze. I don't care what the score was. UConn had more sacks than Holy Cross. (laughs) So he got that fat. $2,000 $2,000 bonus, and he retired on an island somewhere down in Nantucket, living on living on a boat. So good for Randy Etzel. You know, he got, he got his last sack bonus, and he said, all right, I'm out. Yeah, I,
0: I don't know if it's going to be his boat. I think maybe it's a commercial fisherman for Long John Silver, but he's sneaking in, you know, some rays under the sun and not having to sweat this potential blowout against Purdue. All right, let's round out this uh, G5 High Five round robin of the week here with your three picks.
2: You know, you mentioned App State before. Ah, I'm not sold yet. I'm going Miami minus eight. You know, obviously Miami got waxed by Alabama, and I think that's kind of contributing to this line a little bit. Everyone gets waxed by Alabama. Alabama's probably, you know, 14 points better than any team in the country. The one stat that really stood out about as bad as Miami looked, the one thing that kind of really solidified this pick for me was Miami managed 10 tackles for loss against that Alabama offensive line, which you could argue is the best in college football. And that's been the staple for Miami, you know, the past couple of years. They were 12th in Havoc last year. They were 21st in line yards. They get great pressure on the quarterback. And that's a problem for Chase Bryce. You know, yeah, he looked great in, in week one. He was 20 for 27, 259, two touchdowns, and a pick. But when he was kept clean, he was 18 for 22. Under pressure, he completed just 40% of his passes. And that was when the interception came. Last year, when he was under pressure, he completed just 37.6% of his passes, two touchdowns, eight interceptions. When Bryce is under pressure, he makes mistakes. And he's going to be under pressure from this Miami team all day. And, and you know, this app state defense was really good against the pass last year. But like you mentioned, you know, Holton he threw for 295 yards against them. So that's gonna be a problem against Derek King. So I think Miami, you know, they're back at home after a bad loss to Alabama. I think they bounce back. They just saw North Carolina lose, so that you know, now they have the edge in in, in the ACC. So, I like Miami to bounce back here. I'm not sold on Chase Price. I think he's going to make a lot of mistakes against this Miami defense. So, give me the Hurricanes. Anything under ten. I think right now it's at around minus eight. I'd really take this to, to minus ten. So, yeah, give me the Canes. Yeah, my power rankings had this uh, circled at twelve. So
0: I was I was surprised, frankly, that it, it came in at that number. I think it's a market overreaction um, by Alabama just smacking around Miami. But like you said, who wasn't really expecting that? That was what we we should have seen coming given the fact that that number ended up coalescing around nineteen twenty uh, for that point spread. So the market said Alabama is going to win big. They did. I don't see why that should have as big of an impact as it apparently is having on
2: this game against app state. All right. What's next? My next pick, I'm going to take Buffalo plus 13 and a half. Uh, anybody who knows me knows I love this Buffalo team. I've loved them for years. I bet them pretty much every other week for the last like four years, which has worked out great. They are the most profitable team in college football to bet on over the last 10 years. And yeah, I know Leopold's gone. That does make me a little nervous. That's why I didn't play him last week, but they kind of looked like a Lance Leopold team. Kevin Marks is still there. Probably the best backup running back in the country. He was fourth in the Mac in yards per game last year. He went for 105 yards behind Patterson. He's at he had over a thousand yards in 2019. Kyle Treese is back at quarterback and he may be the best like average quarterback ever. He's not asked to throw the ball a lot, but when he does, he just, you know, does what he's supposed to. He gets the yardage he's supposed to Buffalo was 15th in passing success rate last year. You don't think of them as a passing team, but when they throw it, they just, you know, they get a 10 yard first down and they keep the chains moving. Their defense was the best in the Mac last year. You know, they, they lose some guys, they lose Malcolm Koontz at the end, but they do return Taylor Riggins, who was 2019 all Mac DN. So that's kind of, you know, an even wash in my mind, they, they still have 2020 all Mac linebacker, James Patterson, uh, Jarrett Patterson's brother. They allowed just 97 yards a week one. You know, I know it's against Wagner. So how much stock can you put into it? But to me, you know, they look like a Leopold team. They looked like the Buffalo team we've seen the last four or five years. I don't, I don't really trust Nebraska. So, so give me, give me Buffalo plus 13 and a half against the Cornhuskers.
0: At this point, with the body of work, we know what Adrian Martinez is. He's someone who's going to fail to make some of the simple pass completions. He's also going to dazzle with how he can extend some plays. I I think this number is primed for a fourth quarter backdoor cover for Buffalo. I did try to needle you a little bit before the recording to say, hey, why don't you you put your money where your mouth is and take Buffalo on the money line? Maybe a little sprinkle there let's make sure to keep the, the G5 high five pristine and keep the winning streak going. So I'm glad you're taking the points. All right. Take us home here with your final pick and number five of the week for us.
2: For my last pick, you know, this is, we're going to love it no. So we're getting a little cocky with it. You know, we're, you know, we're feeling ourselves and we're betting on temple. Cause I'm taking temple who stinks. Don't get me wrong. They stink. I have no stats written down to convince you. They don't stink because they stink, but they're playing Akron who, in my opinion, is is about seven points worse than any team in the country not named UConn, UMass, or New Mexico State. So I'll lay the points with Temple. You know, obviously they got smoked by Rutgers, but even that game was a little misleading too. You know, Temple turned the ball over five times. Rutgers still only had 365 total yards, which is not a lot for a team that put up 60 points. This is one of those, you know, hold your nose, check, check the Action Network app to follow along. Please don't watch this game. You know, I'm just going to take Temple money line just to be safe because Akron's not winning this game. So Temple's only minus seven. So they're minus 270 on the money line. We'll throw that in here to compare with our other to help boost our other plays. Akron's not beating anyone. So give me Temple with minus 270 on the money line. (laughs) This one is rough, but you know what? You
0: also were undefeated last week. So I'm putting our collective hope in your hands and hopefully we don't fumble the bag here. We did disagree on one game last week, which was this Texas State against Baylor. So I have that win in my pocket. As many of our listeners know, I have every single F- FBS helmet, but I'm slowly collecting on the FCS level, so if you could hit me up with a James Madison helmet at, at your leisure. I know there's some supply chain issues across the U.S., so if it takes two or three months, that's fine. Now, the G5 deep dive this week has basically been another love fest and why shouldn't it be, but I do have a feeling that there's one game we're going to be on opposite sides of here. What do you got?
1: We can't see eye to eye Very
2: yeah i'm gonna go with the toledo rockets you know they're getting 16 and a half i think if i can get a 17 even better but uh they're playing notre dame who obviously they you know they came away with the win against florida state but and jack Cohn looked great but i don't know how sustainable that is you know it's hard to tell if that was more of a product of the florida state defense or this notre dame offense florida state was able to move the ball a lot better than i expected. Uh, so I think Toledo is going to have no problem running the ball in this Notre Dame defense and be able to move the ball pretty much as well as Florida State did. So Toledo's, you know, they bring back the highest tarp in the country, I think, and, and they're one of the best teams in the Mac. So I'll, I'll take 17 points with Toledo against Notre Dame. I mean, for my money,
0: Bruce Gardkowski's not walking through that door unless, you know, Kareem Hunt's got a fake mustache on and all of a sudden he's running the ball for the Rockets. I I don't see them hanging around against the Golden Domers, particularly when you look at how good Kyle Hamilton is in that secondary for Notre Dame. He made some interceptions that were like, you can't even blame the Florida State quarterback. He's a freak. He, he, he was just eating up free space where he was uh, 25 yards away from a pass when it left, you know, uh, Travis's hand, and he still intercepts the ball. So I'll go ahead with Notre Dame to get right at home, you know, that 230 NBC game where it's kind of like a standalone. So I think everyone will watch at least the first quarter of that, and I see Notre Dame just kind of laying waste to Toledo there. One final game just as a bonus I want to throw out there, and, and you can, you know, weigh in as well. North Carolina looked listless in that opener against Virginia Tech, and Mac Brown looked like – me after 11 drinks at the bar you know I for those reasons I just see Georgia State getting 25 and a half this is a Panther team I mentioned earlier that had COVID issues. They're getting all the players back, according to the beat writer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This is a team that was 7-3 and three against the spread last year. And Sam Pinckney in particular, I think, is going to help their passing game pop. Cornelius Quad Brown is going to have a much better showing. I'll take the 25-and-a-half because Sam Howell doesn't play defense. I feel comfortable with Georgia State getting to that 20-point threshold. And at that point, I'm covering. What do you think about the Panthers out of the Sun Belt in this one?
2: I don't know. That just makes me nervous. Since you throw an extra, I'll sprinkle one on top. This is going to be a fun game. Just This one is one, take it just to have fun. Just throw a little shackles on it because you want to watch it. North Texas SMU is going to be awesome. It's going to be an absolute shootout. It's over 73. Number's probably too high. I don't care. I'm taking it just for the heck of it. We saw what this North Texas offense did last year. SMU started Tanner Mordecai week one. Uh, All he did is set the, he had the highest quarterback EPA per play ever in the college football era in his first week. That's all I needed to see. SMU brings back a ton on offense. North Texas does as well. Give me that over 73. This might be the most fun game of the week in the G5. So I just want a little action on that and hope we get a shootout.
1: Oh, yeah. Let's do this.
2: All right. So to summarize today's action, just for those of you, you know, looking for the bets from today, with the help of our beloved voiceover lady, Tina, to help all you degenerates remember, I will run through the picks. For our best bets, Calabrese likes Baylor minus 47 and a half.
1: The Baylor Bears. Sick them, Bears.
2: I like Wyoming minus six and a half.
1: The Wyoming Cowboys.
2: For our Moneyline Underdog Parlay, lousy board for dogs this week, but we are going to go with Troy. The Troy Trojans. And East Carolina.
1: The East Carolina Pirates.
2: And for our lovely G5 High Five Round Robin that did go 5-0 last week, by the way, We've got our spread picks of Wyoming.
1: The Wyoming Cowboys. Purdue. The Purdue Boilermakers. Boiler Up. Miami. The Miami Hurricanes. Buffalo. The Buffalo Bulls.
2: And a minus 270 money line on Temple.
1: The Temple
2: Owls. Also, if you're still hounding for action, we threw out two bonus picks. Georgia State plus 26.
1: The Georgia State Panthers.
2: And the over 73 in the SMU game.
1: The SMU Mustangs.
2: All right,
0: that's it for us this week on the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by WinBets. I'm Mike Calabrese. This has been Mike Ionello of the Action Network. We're going to remind you that Stucky and Colin will be dropping their weekly college football betting previews every Thursday night into Friday morning, so be sure to check in there. And, and that's it. I'm, I'm excited to keep the winning streak going. And I appreciate everyone who tuned in this week. We'll be back every Wednesday with a Group of Five Deep Dive covering all the G5 conferences that matter to you. That's Maction. That's the fun belt. So be sure to check in next week and appreciate you listening.